Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Three months. Are you aware when you're dreaming? I know what I'm experiencing and hearing isn't real, but at the same time, I believe it is. Lara's condition is medical, a mixture of hypermania and paranoid schizophrenia. This is not her brain doing it. It's not even her. I'd like to have you under observation. Absolutely not. Not again. We did exactly what they said. Those experts had done their damage. Moving away from medical practice would be unwise. This is not a medical problem. What do you believe it to be? A spiritual one. Ah! is still not well. We've got my congregation to pull from and a very supportive community in general. When you're ready, I'm here to help. And if I can't help, I know those that can. to the Almighty and the Almighty alone. Bear your soul to him. Please take me back inside. I came here to exercise the devil. Show our enemy your faith. Christ compels you to leave this vessel now. Pray with me. Body of Christ. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 552. Releasing on a limited cinema run in Sydney on September 8, Adelaide on September 14, and Brisbane on September 15, is Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism, a horror thriller that tells the story of an unsanctioned exorcism in small-town Australia that shocked the nation. Based on true events, Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism, delves into the dangers of when religious zealotry poses as salvation and does so with fine filmmaking craft and powerful performances. And joining me now on the podcast is the director of the film, Nick Kazakis. Nick, how are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. It is exciting. So coming from an Aussie film critic slash journalist, practicing Catholic uh, and a horror fan who has The Exorcist as his most favorite film of all time, uh, this is like right up my alley in a lot of ways, this movie of, of um, The Eastfield Exorcism. What's really interesting, though, I've been listening to a bunch of um, interviews you, you've done, like in the States when you had your run over there and here as well. Is it true that like the original idea for this movie was you're going to make like more of a traditional exorcism movie. And if that's the case, yeah. how did that kind of switch to kind of like what people are going to see next week? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that. So I love horror of all formats. So it's just like, I'm a horror fan before I'm a filmmaker. I'm pretty sure that like stands as it is, but like, I, um, obviously I, I wanted to make a, uh, 
possession film and I, I love those films no matter what budget what scale they are like the fact that you've got the exorcist poster right in front of me right now is like so daunting because it's like the holy grail of them all but mm. i um i've definitely um loved uh possession films for a long time and i i wanted to kind of go down that route but when i started researching real life possessions uh, something st- stuck with me and it was just so haunting to find out that Aside from, you know, Catholicism practicing their, uh, you know, rich, the rituals to kind of do exorcisms, there are people that are that do their own and they're self-appointed exorcists that end up harming innocent people and brutalizing people. And that was just like a totally different story and one that I had never seen before. So um, that was what I really wanted to focus on. It just kind of stuck with me that, you know, in a world where someone might believe that you're possessed, there is nothing you can do or say to get safety or, you know, relief from a situation like that. So um, that's that's where the mindset went. And I um, got a writer on board, Alex Wilson, who uh, penned a draft, and um, that's that's the path that we took. When it came to the real-life influences, because this movie is based on true events, um, and sticking to, like, our, our neck of the woods here, um, I remember the Joan Vilma case back in the early 90s in Victoria. I remember being a kid, I think it was around... 11 or 12 when that was because that was all over that was like first you know first news report kind of stuff as well and then you have the janet moses thing in new zealand as well i know there's a documentary released on that were they, were they the two kind of like cases you were looking at as kind of like the framework of what you wanted to put together with your movie yeah there were, were cases that we looked at but we we kind of got so many globally there were there were cases in france there were cases in uh germany like annalise michelle which is you mm. know like she had watched or had read the exorcist uh you know and because of that that created like a whole influence in her mind and um you know and for for us a lot of the cases played exactly the same way and it's like you see so many parallel parallels between joan volmer and janet moses and some of the other cases that we've kind of pinpointed um throughout time even one that happened a few years ago in perth um it was to a six-year-old girl and Mm. it's just like they all play exactly the same where there's generally a woman or a child that's uh suffering from mental health issues or whatever it might be and the family just assumes that they're possessed so they get together their congregation of people and they start harming the person and um it was really shocking to read so many of the um the legal files on all of that. Like, you know, it was just um, yeah, really traumatizing. A lot of what a lot of people don't realize is that when it comes to like a ritual like that, it could be a really traumatic kind of experience, um, spiritually, psychologically. Um, and it, the other thing as well is that, you know, as a big exorcist fan and like I like the like the, I'm kind of fascinated with the subject, whenever I see kind of like footage kind of like more from the catholic side of things they look they're kind of tame they're not like the exorcist it's not like levitating bodies and stuff it's usually just a couple of people praying over someone and then it's like okay i'll see you guys next week at eight o'clock all right see you later you know that's pretty much it right <laughs> but um yeah. the whole the unsanctioned the unsanctioned exorcisms that i've been reading about they can be kind of like akin to like like uh like torture uh, experiments in a sort of way there's violence there's really kind of like um uh, delving into traumas that these people have that you know they shouldn't be delved into without the proper kind of number one um uh, proper doctor number two medications number three proper observation um when it came to delving into what it would have been like or how you portray 
the backyard. I, I call it like a backyard exorcism, essentially, because always in a shed or stuff like that, right? Um, yeah. Did you read up on exactly what type of methods were used? Because some of the things that happened in this movie in regards to the destruction of personal artifacts and and what is in the in the, the weird one, which is the um surrounding the house in like a cling wrap so the spirits are coming. I don't know where, where that comes from. If you, I have no idea. But did, is that things like that you read about that actually happen in these things? You're like, okay, we're going to take that, we're going to take this and put it all together in this one kind of... Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, it's exactly yeah. that. It's, uh, you know, we did a lot of research into it and like even just going into our own investigative process to find, um, you know, churches that actually still do and perform exorcisms and rituals like that, a lot of this stuff comes up and it's like, it's very common. It's very common practice to wrap, uh, you know, glass up in, um, you know, plastics. And that way it's not, the evil's not pouring out of it or evil's not going into it. And it's, um, you know, like, uh, some of the more extreme, um, Christian faith, face, uh, Christian faith, uh, you know, uh, sex will actually kind of um dive into that and and talk about that as like a, as a belief structure where it's like you mm. wrap things in plastic to not have evil kind of coming out and to destroy things that they think evil has possessed it's very very common so yeah we did a lot of research into it and the common things are always there the other thing that's interesting about um your film the east uh, godless the east field exorcism is that there's a number of characters in the movie that have this kind of like really skeptical viewpoint in regards to medical institutions and, and science and etc. And the film is kind of like common common day uh, base, right? Um, so we're talk, probably talking about COVID time, post COVID, and around that time and still now there is a lot of skepticism based on a lot of this stuff. For some and some reasons, I could kind of understand why. Some reasons why not. I have a son who's autistic, and I always say to my wife. I say, thank God he was born like in, in 2010, because if he was born, just say, even 67 years ago, um, and he had autism and ADHD and he was flowing up in these things, it could be possibilities of what could happen to him. What Number one is what is depicted in your movie. Number yeah. two is that a lot of the medical institutions back then in regards to people with mental illnesses was terrible as well. Like there was um, there's that popular documentary that came out in the, in the 80s, I forgot what it was called, but it, it depicted like what life was like in New York medical institutions. And you see a lot of people um, uh, chained to the floor and just left to kind of come like back to rot and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's like really bad just then as well. So kind of like that conflict between the science and the faiths, it seems like that, although in the mainstream of things, people have progressed quite a lot. It's the outer fringes of these of these kind of things, um, the more conspiracy-laden people or the more kind of like um, uh, fringe kind of sect kind of people, they're the ones that we're really looking for. So the movie to me isn't so much a commentary so much about what the mainstream churches or mainstream medical people are doing, but it's more like what's happening on the fringes of both of those kind of societies and how the things happening, both of those things can have a very negative effect on people and in, in turn, a negative effect on the community as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's. I'm glad that you picked that up in the film because that's exactly what we were going for. We wanted to lay a, a lot of subtext into it with just like the dangerous thought process of people getting into a think tank. So it's like when you start creating conspiracy theories and you start you know and it's all always fine to have your opinions and whatever it's the, uh, and whatever you might be kind of basing things on but it's when you start harming people or allowing people not to have access to the right you know pathway to get help and all that that's when it becomes a problem and that's what we really kind of focused on so although we touch base on like the whole anti-vaccination and all that kind of stuff it's more 
the idea of like people using their thoughts and their beliefs to harm other people. And that's the yeah. theme that we had got ongoing throughout this whole film. And, um, you know, our film is set in the 90s and um, it was also kind of like a, a time where, you know, we started to get an understanding of mental health, but we really weren't there at that point and we're much better now and we still have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of part, like ways to go. But um, as far as it goes back then, it was a situation where it's like, well, you are mentally unwell, let's just put you in an institution and let's just like wrap you up. And it's like, well, no, we need to talk about this, need to get a better understanding of what, what the situation is. So medically they weren't there. So there was a fear of going down that path. And then suddenly what's your other option? Your other option mm. is to get a quick fix, which is through the lens of, religion and in this instance for lara and the characters surrounding her it was the most extreme and worst possible fate the matt's movie reviews podcast is brought to you by t public t public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise with over 1.2 million designs t public is sure to have something you will love the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon, the world's leading online store. Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. When it comes to those characters, performances in the film is just terrific. I mean, Lara, um, the character of Lara played by Georgia Ayers, I mean, she's just fantastic in the film because not only does she have to kind of commit herself really to the psychological kind of elements of the film and, and the distresses and the and the depictions of her of her um uh, schizophrenic paranoia and such but there's also a physical element to it as well in regards to the actions depicted on her that she does to herself when it comes to doing some of these scenes with her um how do you prepare her for this i know she's a she's a you know trained actress and everything else but i i do imagine though that doing scenes like what she had to go through, there will have to be quite a bit of preparation beforehand to get to that kind of state uh, mentally to be able to depict what is happening to her character in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, George is an actor and she's an unbelievably uh, incredible actor. So she knows how to switch it on and switch it off. And um, I, uh, touching on what you were saying before, we kind of did a deep dive into mental health and split personality and psychosis and, uh, you know, schizophrenia, hypermania and all that. And she did a lot of research, uh, watching a lot of video content on how people react and how they, how they are in certain environments and all that. So like her, her research level was just incredible, but just, uh, you know, the fact that she had very little to play with. It's literally a woman tied to a chair. There's not mm. enough body movement to be able to uh, do exactly what you want to be able to do, but like what she could do with her face, her eyes, her tone in her voice. Um, she just absolutely smashed it out of the park. I was absolutely, uh, I was spoiled for choice with her when it came to the edit. Cause there was just, every take was perfect. She was um, incredible. And she like, she did the preparation and we did some rehearsals, but all in all, she was just, she was the, so perfect for the role. No one else. Uh, I couldn't see anyone else for it. 
when it came to Dan Ewing and his um, depiction of the char- his character Ron, the husband of Lara, um, a desperate man um, put in a desperate situation. On one end, you kind of feel um, very sorry for him, and on another end, you put a lot of kind of blame on him in the situation as well. How important mm-hmm. was it though to make sure that when you have that character portrayed on screen? You didn't want to show him so much as um, you don't want to show him to be villainous, um, but you want to show him as a guy who just has such a mistrust of the uh, of the other alternatives in their lives, and, and you know, there's there's things in Lara's past and such that he just feels like this is the best way to cure her. And even though he is definitely wrong in what he did, on one on another hand, you kind of like look. Um, I I'm, I don't know what it would be like to be in his shoes, and um, you do kind of feel sorry for him um, in in what he kind of goes through with her because it is you know when you're dealing people with mental illnesses, especially when it it, it, it displays themselves in violent actions and such. And, and as you were saying before, during the time period of the film, um, a lot of was not known about what's going on. Sometimes people's um, naivety um, can get the can get the better of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, uh, Dan would love hearing that as well because uh, that's one massive thing that he brought to the table. So when the first draft came out, he was always interested in the project and always wanted to collaborate with me on something as well, and I did as well with him. But, like, he, uh, when the first draft came out, it was a little bit of a tougher read for the character of Ron because he was almost kind of villainous in a way where it's just like, it's my way or the highway and we're not doing anything else. Um, and that just didn't read as a character that you'd want to follow a journey of. Like you really wanted to see the torment, the trials, the tribulations of his character arc and his path. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a, it is an important thing that we wanted to have where, which was like, it was a, it was a lost lamb almost taking another lamb to the slaughter. And, um, Mm. you know, with his, you see a lot of the people surrounding him, manipulating him. And it's what I said earlier. It's like, there's a long path for psychological and mental health help that needs to be done. But when he's being promised that the solution can happen within days and can happen because, you know, someone can click their fingers and remove all the problems in, in, in his life, he wanted to take that because the desperation is put on him and it's at such a high level. Um, yeah, we really wanted to play with that with his character. And, um, you know, he um, he had a lot of input in that in the scripting stages. So it was, it was really good to kind of collaborate with him on that. Tim Pocock is ferocious in his movie. He really is. And yep. when, I, when I was um, watching the movie, the note that I wrote down is um, – the note I have here is um, the danger of following those who believe they are a tool of God. Um, I think sometimes what can happen is that when you have like um, a, a community like that and you have like a, such a strong faith like that, people always want to look to a leader to maybe want to push them to the places where they don't want to go or they do, but they don't they have to, you know, the the, the testicular of fortitude, so to speak, to, to do so. Um, and he is definitely a character who really did push people to go into places where I imagine they wouldn't go naturally, um, and but they were just open to the experience of doing so based on, you know, all the different elements that, that we, we've been talking about. When it came to the depiction of his character, Daniel, um, and the ferociousness that he had, and also the... The lack of in, the lack of um, humanity he had towards Lara. As soon as he came in the door, he called her it. 
he didn't respect yep. the boundaries of her physical nature, let alone her mental and spiritual nature either. I think when you meet people like that and they have they look at people a certain way and they can't even see the human um the humanity with a person, um, no matter who that person is, what they've done or what you think they are, um, that could be a really dangerous thing, especially when you have uh, the power to move you know, a, a crowd or like a, almost like a cult leader in a sort of ways. Um, that is really scary to me. And, and so I'm just curious, like when it came to you and Tim dealing with the character, Daniel, did you look at the actual, you know, exorcists per se uh, that are involved in these real cases? Is that the kind of cult of personality that they had uh, when it came to these kind of um, uh, the, um, the way that they um, did these um, uh, uh, ceremonies and they conducted themselves around people? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's that's brilliant that you bring that up because Tim, another one that collaborated a lot with the early uh, stages of the script. Because when we cast Dan, um, he had Tim in mind for this role because Tim grew up in Opus Dei, so he went to mm. a very um, private school that was run by Opus Dei, which is the Da Vinci Code uh, kind of um, section of Christians, and. Um, uh, you know, this is this is an area where people would be cutting their ankles with razor blades because they were sinning and all that kind of stuff. So it was very, mm. very deep and dark. So Tim knew this this character all too well, and you know has known people that have performed exorcisms, and you know he lived in this and was even going to potentially become a priest. But ultimately, Tim's gay, and that doesn't um, sit right with uh that sect at all and um he slowly started to see what kind of people they were and that they're the people that don't like him for who he is and um you know he he broke away from that but he's had a lot of childhood trauma um that he put into this film but also channeled a lot of that um so he channeled people that he actually knew so you know the one thing that you said earlier which is um the voice of God is a very archaic ancient Greek way of thinking where it's like when you fall back in those days, when someone fell in love, it wasn't their thought. It was the God of love bringing that thought into them. So it's like, I love you because the God of love has told me to love you. And there is nothing that's going to get in the way of that because God is the truth. And in this instance, that's where it becomes so dangerous because none of his, none of the thoughts of Daniel James King are his own. It's all the thoughts of God. So that makes it everything is unequivocally perfect and okay. And the other thing as well is, is uh, that you brought up, which is the people surrounding him in the church, they wouldn't go to those lengths. And you're right. But in these kind of situations, and Tim was a part of this as well, um, when you're in a situation where you falter and you don't listen to the person that has the voice of God running through them, then you're questioning that and then you're being questioned as to whether or not you have enough faith to be even involved in this situation so you're made to feel guilty for not sharing the same opinion so it's a very very kind of awful situation to be in where it's like oh okay i i you, you think logically about a situation and it's like no 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 you're not thinking logically you just don't have enough love for god and you don't have enough faith to believe in it and then suddenly mm. you're judged and demonized for it so you just sort of have to go with the flow because otherwise you're going to be called out so it's a, it's a really awful conundrum for someone to be in i'm curious what sort of reactions do you get after you screen your films because 
you did show this in the states first and had a run in, in there for xyz films and they got it through uh, umbrella here in, in in australia the differences between us two countries in regards to the how religion is tied in society is very very evident um america especially um um, incredibly uh, Protestant in a lot of their um, uh, religious views and such. Um, and this church that's depicted in in, um, in your movies, like a like a offshoot of offshoot of offshoot of that kind of thing. But there's links there. When you show your film in America, when you did show your film in America, as opposed to you've done some things here in Australia, uh, do you get similar kind of um, correspondence back? Do you get people who maybe maybe would have seen I don't know. Um, uh, feel that there maybe there, there was a shot towards uh, Christianity as a whole or do you see people who say you know I know people like that I've seen people like that it's a good thing we have that out there because um, people need to know that sometimes um, there are the wolves in sheep's clothing and we have to be aware of that stuff yeah no it's a uh, uh, you know it was great like when we went to the States, I was so stressed. I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And it like mm. being that it was the first time anyone was going to watch the movie. I was, uh, I was really nervous, but, um, the reception was unreal. Like I was so surprised to get so many positive comments, feedback, people like after screening were grabbing my hands saying how like clammy their hands were because that was so stressed and tense throughout the whole film. I've had so many people that grew up in like extreme religious situations that kind of if this stuff resonates with them i think because it is a country that has a lot of religious religion behind it and there's a lot of faith behind it there's a lot more awareness of it so screening it there compared to here we, we're not as strong with our religion you know or our, our our faith here um i don't feel that anyway like um but i i just you know it, it it felt different. Like there were so many people that had stories of people that they knew and people that have gone through it or they themselves have gone through it. Um, here, I think sometimes with our marketing, some people might expect a little bit more of a conventional exorcism film. Um, and then when it becomes an anti-exorcism film, it's like a pleasant surprise, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But in the States, I felt like, and and globally as well, like it's been a pleasant surprise, you know, where people are like, I went in expecting this and I was completely blown away thinking you're uh, coming out with something totally different. Well, I, I love the film because, number one, I think it seems to me post-paranormal activity especially, the deluge of possession movies, demonic possession movies has been huge because I think people yeah. learn how to make it on budget and they've all kind of been repetitive and the same and then you had the conjuring stuff and that's become repetitive and saying and I always like watching films where films fuck with genre and they twist yeah. it around and for someone yeah. who who like who has an interest in the subjects in the movie I liked it very much because number one uh the story is uh, reminds me way back like I said when I was 12 and just being fascinated I think that was when I started my fascination with horror and stuff when when that story came out uh and number two it's an Australian film and I absolutely love when Australian filmmakers uh dive into genre and they do it yeah. I think the way the Australian films do it and Australian filmmakers do it like yourself Nick is you guys do it with in a way that is unconventional I think unconventional is needed especially during the time when um, there's so much formulaic stuff out there. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, when they make a movie, they make an elevator pitch and they don't make a story. And I think here yeah. with, um, with um, Eastfield Exorcism, 
it's a story. It's an important story. It's a well-made story. And I thank you so very much for, for making it, Nick. Um, I really do appreciate uh, what you've done here. Uh, that's really humbling. I love that. That's uh, That just sent chills down my spine because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that someone like yourself that loves the genre and, you know, uh, you know, you would watch so many films and I know you do, um, that you got it. And uh, that means the world to me. So it's like, you know, but, you know, we did it because we, we, it was a story that we believed in and it was a story that we really wanted to tell. And I, I love genre and I'll keep doing genre. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you, uh, really enjoyed this one. This is, that's a really cool, um, you know, sentiment that you've uh, sent over to our way. So for everyone out there listening, please go to Umbrella Ent, that's umbrellaent.com.au, and there you can find out more information and where to go for screenings for Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism. Um, all the screenings um, that are listed there on the 8th, 14th, and 15th in uh, New South Wales and Brisbane and Adelaide are Q&A screenings as well, so you get to see Nick in person and other cast um, crew as well. Um, I really recommend people also check out this film in cinema. I know there's going to be a home entertainment release soon, but watch it in the cinema because the craft and the soundtrack and the performances deserve to be seen on the big screen. And for everyone out there, please watch it. Um, and uh, if you had a screening, let Nick know just how great he did, because um, like I did, because I think more Aussie filmmakers need to know to make more genre films. And Nick, I thank you so very much for your time. Congrats with the film. Best of luck with the screenings next week and following. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing like the best work possible, getting our film out there and talking about it and talking about other independent filmmakers films. It's just, it's good to have that awareness and we appreciate your work too. So thank you for doing that for the industry.